Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for being the morning group. Uh, this is, I, I always love to have our discussion here and then see, and then see what's different at night um, and I will tell you that you are a more talkative group, so so that that may be one one big uh, difference. So thank you for being here and for always sharing your thoughts and uh, really diving into the Bible study, whatever we're doing uh, this week. This week we are doing our profiles of scripture in profiles of strength in scripture. That is our theme for this entire fall uh, is is strength, and so um, I. I will confess to you, I'm a little behind on getting out all the information, uh, but by this weekend, we'll have all of the list of everyone who uh, we're, we're studying. We'll have that out by this weekend. Um, we've had a couple, I've had a couple bumps in the road of getting that produced, let me say it like that. <laughs> um, so I know it's a, who are we studying this week? Well, last week we were with Daniel, and this week we're, we're with Barrick and Deborah. Um, and a couple of other key people in uh, the book of Judges. So uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive right in. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for the ability to not just be your people, but be your people in the word. Thank you that you give us this opportunity to grow in faith and love. Lord, let it be a time where we learn from your word, where we are enlightened by your Holy Spirit, and where we learn from one another. Help us to see uh, your strength through these folks um, in the book of Judges today. Help us to see how you give us strength as well, that we can live our daily lives uh, not just in you and for you, but also with you and with your strength and power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in the book of Judges, chapter 4 and chapter 5. We're going to be most in chapter 4. We're going to read a little bit of chapter 5. Uh, it's adventurous, but we're, I, I'm, I'm confident that we will get through what I have planned. <laughs> uh, so this morning, we are going to start with the context of where we are uh, and, and talk a little bit about the key players before we actually read the scripture, uh, chapter four today. So if you want to get there, um, be ready for us to read. All right, so some context. When, where, why, who, there may be a how in there. Uh, so we're in the book of Judges. This is the period of time between the death of Joshua, if you remember Joshua, and the transition to a monarchy. So we're in this in-between kind of no-man's-land time uh, for the Israelites, uh, roughly, roughly 1326 to 1092 B.C., depending on some dating, just to give you some idea of where we are. So this is after the Exodus. This is after Joshua. This is after they become God's people. And it's before we have our first king. This is a turbulent time for the Israelites. Uh, They are living in a land that God had promised to them, but they did not necessarily do everything they were supposed to do. And so they have some turbulence uh, in their lives. The Canaanites still occupy the area. If you are familiar with this portion of the Bible, and, and we'll see some of the different names in here, uh, sometimes it's 
the Canaanites is a catch-all for like the Jebusites and the Philistines. And sometimes it really means just the Canaanites. And so these are people that they were supposed to get rid of um, with God's power, but they, they did not do everything they were supposed to do. And so now they're kind of living in some of those consequences. God has not left them. Um, however, we have this, we have this interesting situation. I, I really enjoy the book of Judges because it's very, um, you can see the, the highs and then the lows and then the highs and the lows and the lows are always, uh, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, right? And something happens and then God comes to the rescue and then they do evil in the sight of the Lord again. Uh, so it's, it's an easy pattern to see. And it's also, I think, helpful for us in our own lives to see, look back and say, okay, where, where are we following pretty close with the Lord and where have we maybe strayed or, you know, done evil in the sight of the Lord? Um, they went from Egypt, where they were enslaved, in a polytheistic culture, culture, theology, right? Um, many different gods, to a time with God in the desert. And in that time with God in the desert, uh, they, are, they are proposed to, for lack of better words, by God on Mount Sinai, right? God says, I will do all of these things. You, I want you to be my people. I want you to be my people. And if, if we can enter into this relationship, here are certain things that you're, I'm going to ask you to do. The first one is, have no other gods, right? Have no other gods before me. Then he goes through the rest of them, and the people say, yes, yes, right? Let it be so. We'll do this. We know what happens. They go, uh, you know, Moses goes up. They comes down. They've got a golden calf. So on and so on and so on and so on. They wander in the desert for 40 years. And now they are in this new land. And this new land is also polytheistic. There are many gods that are worshipped. And so they've gone from, you know, enslaved polytheistic to free polytheistic. And God is monotheistic, right? There's one God. And he says, I'm it. And you won't worship anybody else. We all know how that goes. We know the how how that goes in our own lives, right? When we put other things before God. So some themes to look for while we're doing, uh, while we're reading here is the main theme I want you to be able to kind of hearken back to or recognize is the uh, theme of Exodus theology. And what's Exodus theology? It's where God has brought his people out of enslavement, right? So Exodus, what happens? He has Moses go to Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron go, Aaron is a spokesperson, let my people go, let my people go, no, 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 yes, right, then they're pursued, that's not enough no's, but you know, there's nine no's and then one yes, right, and then they're pursued by Pharaoh and all of his chariots, right, and they are um, cornered at, at the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, and God parts the waters, they go through and then what happens, right? All Pharaoh's people, all the charioteers, they all are at the bottom of that sea, uh, for lack of better words. Um, some, some may be, you know, halfway through, some all the, almost all the way through. But God's people come through uh, safely on the other side. So we're going to look for some of those themes again so that remembering that when this was written, um, this was not written when it was necessarily told, right? This story was told and told and told until it was written down. 
And so when you are telling a story uh, and you're telling a story, think of maybe a family story that you have and you say maybe a couple of words and people are like, oh yeah, that reminds me of right this time when this happened and this person was there. And this is what we find the, the storytellers of the Bible doing. They, they use um, true language, right? So we're going to see here that God does rescue his people, but the way that they phrase some things is also to remind the Israelites that this is not the first time God has done this. This is not the first time God has rescued you. I don't know about you, but I sometimes have a short attention span uh, with the Lord. Um, I forget, right, what the Lord has done for me, and I go into a situation and think, oh, my gosh, how am I ever going to get out of this? Or, oh, my gosh, what is God asking me to do? Or, oh, my gosh, what is God going to do in this situation? And sometimes somebody can remind me, right, maybe a friend. Other times the Holy Spirit will, will give me this insight like, hey, Tara, we've been, we've been in a similar situation before, right? And how has God delivered you from that? Or how has God given you the way that he wants you to go through that? Anyone, anyone else sometimes have a short attention span with God? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Good thing God doesn't have a short attention span, right? He has a long memory, um, yet he forgets our sins, right? On purpose. And so he, he is, he's what we should be striving for there. All right. So that's kind of our when, where, why, who, anyone want to add anything or share anything else to give us some context? So we have with the story of Deborah and Barak, a story and a song, right? And so this is also very much the thematic type of storytelling where uh, there is a story that happens. And then at the end of it, there is a song of celebration. And so we get to see this here uh, with Deborah and Barak as well. Here are our players today. We have Yahweh, who's the Lord God, right? Deborah, she's a prophetess, judge, and leader. Barak, he's a military leader. He gets lumped in with the judges. We don't really see that in in the text necessarily. Um, We have Jael, who is, I call her the showstopper, (laughs) or the fulfillment of the uh, prophecy from Deborah, um, because she really really kind of turns everything on its head. No pun intended um, there. And we have Jabin who is the king of Canaan, and we have Sisera, who is his army commander. And those are our main people that we're going to be uh, working with today. All right. Any questions? Any thoughts? Okay. You ready to dive in? All right. So let's go to chapter four. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Agoyim. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take 
position at Mount Tabor, bring 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead you to glory, to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went to Barak to Kedish, with Barak to Kedish. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedish, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. We're going to pause there. This is a kind of a long passage. So first of all, what, what kind of impressions? What's going on here? John? Larry? The first time that I've realized in this story that where they are is Mount Tabor, which is, I believe, help my unbelief, is where Jesus comes down and there's the boy and they can't cast out the demon. Mm. And the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. And there's a little connection with the place here, Mm -hmm. which I had never recognized before, but it's in the future. Yeah. It's just going to be one-on-one, but they're... Something there, you, mm-hmm. you um, just never noticed that before. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's a good realization. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Anyone else? Anything jump out at you? Oh, Jesus' transfiguration. So more connections there, right? Okay. So let's start with Deborah. We'll start with her because this is where... We begin after the, you know, the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, so now they find themselves in a, in a situation and God delivers them from this situation through um, the prophetess, judge, and we'll see later, she is called mother in Israel, uh, Deborah. So a prophetess is an agent of Yahweh, right? Just like a prophet is. A judge, she's a settler of disputes. And mother in Israel, she brings stability and comfort to the Israelites in this, in this time. We, we start with her, and we don't know Jael yet, but we will know her later. Just remember this, kind of setting the stage of, like, the two bookends. We start with Deborah, and she's sitting under a tree, right? She's sitting under a palm tree, and then we meet Jael later, and she is at a tent. So we have those two kind of bookends there. And, and the, I bring your attention to that because there's a, there's a sense of place by both of those women and their importance, right? So the first part for Deborah and her being under um, a tree, she's under the palm of Deborah. Uh, Deborah was Rebecca's nurse. So probably the tree or probably where she was buried isn't necessarily the exact location of this tree it was was there but it's been it's been a long time right so the the exact tree we're not sure however the area is that of uh where deborah rebecca's nurse was buried so she's sitting under this palm palms are considered uh especially in this fertile jordan valley uh to be a, a sense of fertility and a sense of um abundance, right? Because they are all over the place. So we, we, we see that God has placed her in a, in a way where this may give us 
an idea of what the Israelites are hoping for or what they're longing for, right? The abundance that was, that God said that they would have there, the stability, the um, fertility of the land. And we see that she's sitting under this palm tree. Now I will tell you, trying to find a picture. I know we don't have an actual picture of Deborah, but trying to find a picture of Deborah is not easy. We have this picture, (laughs) um, which is, probably more accurate than some of the ones that I saw, which is kind of reminiscent of the woman at the well. Uh, Lots of these pictures of Deborah are that she's this like meek woman, (laughs) you know, sitting there all alone. But that's not what the text tells us, right? The text tells us that people are coming to her to settle disputes. So she's probably not just sitting out under a tree, you know, soaking up the sun uh, by herself, yet she's most likely, we have Barak on the other side of her. Uh, she's most likely has other people around her. She's, she's giving judgment. She's, she's the judge in Israel at this time. And so, so if you come across any of those other pictures, I encourage you to look at it and say, I don't know if this really is what scripture reflects here. John? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. It's kind of hard to find non-cartoon pictures of of biblical characters just on Google. So, yes, I'll take what you have. Thank you. Um, All right. So we have Deborah. She's under this tree, probably a symbolism for what Israel is longing for. Uh, And we have Barak, who's like, okay, I'll go with you, but only, or I'll go, but only if you go with me. Um, What is her... What is her response here? What's her response here? She said she would go, but it wasn't going to end the way he thought it would. Yeah. John? And we don't know, we don't, we're not supposed to know yet what that means, right? We're supposed to maybe have this illusion that it's going to be Deborah who's the woman. When I read this, I think there's an unrecorded part here. It reminds me of Moses going out and striking the rock when God mm. said, command the rock. Mm-hmm. This is a very fine thing, but it's Barakas. I mean, she has to call him up in the first place. You know, yeah. why are you not already here? I know God <laughs> told you mm-hmm. and you're wavering and he's still wavering some more. And there's mm-hmm. a, there's a hesitancy, what, right? Yeah. What he said to do was go fight this guy. Yeah. And I didn't tell you how to take Deborah along like a lucky rabbit's foot. So right. you'll win. <laughs> I will right. do it. Yeah. That's, that's how I see it. Yeah. So, so I ran across this picture, kind of made me think of Barrack here, right? Kind of, kind of, oh, okay, sure, God, I trust you. What's, what's usually the last word or the next word after that? I trust you, but, right, <laughs> but where am I going to go, right? Uh, where am I going to go here and, and how am I going to get there? And let me try to exert some sort of control over the situation, right? exert some sort of control over the situation. And we see that God is going to give him victory, but now because of his conditional response, his conditional response, the victory will still be there, but it's going to be changed in the way that we're going to get there. Right? Deborah clearly thinks that his his response is conditional, right? Because it's not, oh, oh good, I'm so glad you want me to go with you, or I'm your lucky rabbit's foot, right? It's no, 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 no. As a prophetess, 
I, I'm telling you, this is what God has said, right? And, and he recognizes her authority. He recognizes who she is. He recognizes if he didn't, then he would say, well, no, I'm not going to go, right? <laughs> uh, you, you, you're not speaking for God. Yet she's speaking and she's giving him this order, um, commands you, go and take position, right? Commands you. That's a, God wants you to be about this. This is not a, this is up for discussion kind of thing. Um, and you're right, John. She has to summon him, right? Like, why aren't you already here? I know that God's already, you know, tapped your heart here. So we see this, and it's, it's interesting. One author writes, it's not just a matter of manliness, right? So it, the men are the ones who are supposed to be doing the fighting in this culture. So Deborah's like, I'll go with you. This is not really my job, right? This is, not, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to be doing. But this author says, it's not just a matter of manliness, but of trust and readiness to obey. Trust and readiness to obey. Pastor. Uh, always troubled me and never did find the answer. The book is called Judges. But what we find in the book is warriors. Mm. All yeah. are judges warriors. How are warriors judges? Well, they're not. They're not supposed to be. And actually, in, in this, this is the first time that we see that there should be a separation. Right? She's supposed to be the judge and the prophetess. He's supposed to be the warrior. And now she's being pulled into, she's not fighting, but she's being pulled into that world. This is, I mean, we're only four chapters in, right? So, so things can change from here. But, but there seems to be that God is setting up a delineation between the two. Okay, thank you. I think. I mean, to me, clearly, Deborah's doing one thing. He's supposed to be doing another thing. But in the other cases, like Gideon, yeah. he's obviously a warrior. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I'm going to say that Deborah was doing her job. <laughs> I don't know what the other men are doing, but yeah, Deborah's doing her job there. Yeah. Or John, did you have something? I think there's a little bit of repetition again here, going back to the Exodus theology, where when they're in the desert, I get a problem. Moses has to fix it. Mm. However small it is, Nobody can handle it for me but Moses. And his father-in-law has to say, look, you're wearing yourself down. Mm -hmm. Judging, there are different levels of of how hard it is to figure this out. And you shouldn't have to do everything for everybody. And so when Gideon wins, it's like, oh, God does everything through him. I'm going to just latch on to Mm -hmm. Gideon, which kind of you're not looking at God anymore because there can't be any other person. I don't know that, Chip, but I mean, I see that. Hmm. That's a good observation. Yes. And God is the warrior, right? And, and, and we see that here, um, that no matter, no matter what, right? So Barak is supposed to be summoning this large army. Um, this army is not his. It's God's, right? It's Yahweh's. This is God's, God's army. He's just like the deputy, right? He's the, he's the deputy. He's the one who's the manager of what God is already doing. So, yeah, I think that's interesting, Pastor, because this is supposed to be, and yet Barak kind of tries to change change it, right, for her. And, and going to John's point, you know, Deborah probably wasn't settling every dispute, right, because we have this example of Moses and his father-in-law who says, you can't do everything, let other people help you, train these people. So if you get to Deborah, 
that's like the Supreme Court, right? <laughs> if it's made it that far, there's some big judging going on here. There's some there's some big things going on here. Um, let's see, do I have any other? All right, so trust and readiness to obey. I think that's something that we can take from from this, uh, right? It, do we want to be ready to trust and obey, or do we want to try to figure out how we can control things? It's just a question. <laughs> All right, let's continue here. Uh, now Heber the Kenite had separated from the other Kenites, that is, the descendant of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had encamped as far away as Elon Bez Anandim, which is near Kedesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all the chariots. What does that sound like? Yeah, Egypt, right? Going, going after him. Chariots, 900 chariots of iron. That sounds really imposing. And all the troops who were with him from Harasheth Agoyim to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, up! For this is the day on which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. The Lord is indeed going out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 warriors following him. And the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and all his army into a panic before Barak. Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. While Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Hersheth Ka Goyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the sword. No one was left. Let's pause there for a second. Our strength verse for this week, we had one last week for Daniel. Our strength verse for this week is arise for this is the day when Yahweh has given Sisera into your hand. Hasn't Yahweh gone out before you, right? To remind us that this strength is not his strength, Barak's strength. It's not Deborah's strength. It's the Lord's strength. And the Lord has already gone out before you. I think that's something that we can also grasp for our own lives. Wherever we go... God has already gone. There's no place we can go that God has not gone. Alex? That last sentence there, hasn't Yahweh gone out before you? Mm -hmm. And my book says, does not the Lord go out before you? So it's present tense mm -hmm. as opposed to past tense. I yeah. like present tense better. Yeah, I do too. I don't know which translation I grabbed for this. So, because mine is going out before you, right? It's the present perfect, present perfect. So I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's different ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. But either way, right? We are going, but God is going before us. Always. Yeah. <laughs> Always going before us. So you choose which tense you like, <laughs> because that's going to be the strength first for the week. Um, those are supposed to be Jesus sandals uh, to remind us that we have a God who has come down, has walked this earth, has gone to great lengths, great, great lengths to repair our relationship with him and has gone before us, is going before us even now, right? Let's look at a couple New Testament passages to kind of reinforce this. Uh, the first one is Luke 10, 26 through 28. Uh, just in this theme of what we are doing, I just pulled out the actual what we should be uh, doing, right? So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It's one thing that we see that the Israelites have forgotten to do is to put God first, right? 
And so we see that connection. This is not just an isolated incident. Jesus talks about this as well. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. God appointed Deborah. God appointed Barak. God appointed these people to do something. God has appointed you to do something, to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, not because you have all the strength and power, not because you are a well-fertile area, but because he is and we're attached to him, we're connected to him, right? John 15 is, I am the vine and you are the branches. We, we are connected to that vine. First Timothy 1.17, we're going to kind of see this at the end or yeah, at the end of her song. Um, but again, it reminds us that God is the, the one and only to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So we, we see that not just in the Old Testament, that's not a different God. This is the same God that we know in the New Testament. And he wanted his people to know him well and to be his people, to be those people in the world so that people the other nations could see them and know that they were blessed and then they could be a blessing to them, we have that same call, right? We are saved, we are redeemed, and we are given the Holy Spirit not only for ourselves, but that we can be an example and a blessing to others in this world. All right, so going back to our strength verse, that we have our strength verse there. We see a little bit more Exodus theology here. Right, we've got the chariots, 900 chariots. That sounds very imposing, um, that feels, that feels the way that maybe the Israelites felt when Pharaoh was coming after them. Uh, so Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 warriors following him. The Lord throws him into a panic, right? This, the Lord does this. The Lord uses panic and disarray uh, in, in ways so that um, his will can continue. Now, I, am, I have never served in the military nor been a ship's captain, <laughs> um, but my understanding is you're the commander, you, you don't, you should not be the last one left alive, right? Is that true? With Yes, that you should not be the last one standing. And yet we see Sisera, he, he runs, <laughs> he runs away. Um, but we know this. Why do we, why do we know he has to run away? Because he has to be delivered over to a woman, right? God has already said this. Barak, you're not going to, you don't get this. You don't get this in your, you know, little shelf of trophies. What's that? Resume. Yeah, you, you can't put it on the resume. So we see that it gets a little confusing here. Cicero goes one way. Uh, Barak kind of goes another way. Uh, they they kind of go in opposite directions, but Barak doesn't know that. Verse 17. Now, Cicero had fled on foot to the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between King Jabin of Hazar and the clan of Heber the Kenite. Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me, have no fear. We may want to, we may want to, you know, if someone says that, hmm, right? We know, we know, hmm, I wonder if that's true. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. He said to her, stand at the entrance of the tent. And if anybody comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. A little foreshadowing here, right? A second. But Jael, wife of Heber, took a tent peg, took a hammer in her hand, 
and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. This is one of the grossest stories in the Bible, I think. He was lying, besides the one before where the guy gets stabbed. It's this whole book, actually. Okay, never mind. He was lying fast asleep from weariness, and he died. Then as Barak came in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there was Sisera lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. Right? <laughs> what was that? Yeah, good Sunday school lesson. Yeah, yeah. Actually, when we were when Pastor and I were talking about what to do, um, which which Bible accounts to do, uh, originally he said, "Let it, it's beyond or not your regular Sunday school or you know m- more than Sunday school lessons, right?" We I think they teach this to kids just in a much tamer way. <laughs> I have never taught on it with children, just so you know. So from her point of view, they have to think about what if it didn't go down that way? What if when she's right here like this, wakes up? Yeah. With his sword and his armor right yeah. there, what happens next? Not good. So not this good. is not a, just a simple, oh, yeah, press the button and everything's okay. Right. She had a, a lot of physical courage yeah. to get right at next. And it's like, there's only one reason you're holding that hammer and yeah. that tin peg <laughs> yeah. in your hand. You can't hand. be like, I was doing this. <laughs> like, right, I was putting something on the wall in your tent. And you yeah. can't really be sure that he's totally asleep. Or not. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So if you have to trust God in a different way. You do have to trust God in a different way. You have to have some sort of some sort of different power there, right? I also think how, it's very personal. It's very intimate, right? Being up close to a person that that close. Um, so yeah, she is the real. She's a real heroine in this uh, story. The, there's some of the story you can read. Sisera is not the best kind of commander. Mm-hmm. When Saul's army lost, he went down fighting in the middle of the army. Sisera goes away from the chariots and his army because yeah. he's thinking about himself. Mm-hmm. And, and Barak is off chase. Well, there's the chariots, and he must be there. And he's, he's doubling back because we got rid of them right. when he wasn't there. Yeah. Sisera is, is very calculating. Mm. I mean, I'm going to abandon my army. Yeah. It's not going my way. Yeah. I'm not going to go down fighting with them, leading them. I'm going to run away and let them find their own, and I'll make up some lives when I get back yeah. to the castle or whatever. Yeah, so he's that would not, be hard to explain, though, right? Yeah, he's he's kind of a shifty character here. Yeah, that's true. Because Saul, Saul's the other example. When right. Saul's army lost, yep. he didn't run away. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So we see here that... Um, we have the tent, right? We have the tent here. We've got Deborah under the palm tree. We've got Jael with her tent, uh, and Sisera is now dead. So what what Deborah had prophesied, had said, was going to come true, comes true. Think of it when you're hearing the story, though, right? When you hear it at, for the first time, you think maybe, oh, it must be Deborah. Deborah must be the one who's who's going to be making this happen. And God does something different. He always does something different, right? If you think that God is only saying one thing, you're not listening to all that he's saying. He's always saying something else as well. One thing, but there's always another side to God. And so we see that God is going to use another woman. And a woman who maybe, I mean, Sisera felt okay going to her tent. Now, this is not she was off camping alone, you know, in the wilderness. This is her family compound, you know, in in her tent, which... I mean, we don't know if 
there were any other wives, but the fact that she has her own tent is actually a big thing. So she would have been trusted. She would have been somebody who, um, you know, would have been known as the wife of somebody who is friendly with, with um, Jabin. So verse 23. So on that day, who subdued King Jabin? God subdued King Jabin, right? Of Canaan before the Israelites. Then the hand of the Israelites bore harder and harder on King Jabin of Canaan until they destroyed King Jabin of Canaan. What a story, right? <laughs> what a story. Before we jump into the song, any, any thoughts on what we know so far? You know, spending most of my life in the Midwest, hmm. the story of Deborah was um, the reason why you stand up there and teach us. Yeah. Because there were women that God used. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how you use this story to get it done is another thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and interesting, right? So I've heard, I've heard that... <laughs> That, uh, that one opinion, let me say it this way, is that Deborah was sent as a punishment to the Israelites um, because men couldn't fulfill uh, <laughs> that so that, that they were humiliated by having a woman in, in power. I don't see that in the text, right? But there's this, there is this opinion out there that that is what Deborah's function is. If she, they wouldn't have gone to her, though, right, if she didn't have the authority, if she didn't have uh, the blessing of God, right? They wouldn't have had to. They they clearly have a mind of their own anyway, right? Um, so I don't subscribe to that. I don't know if anyone's ever run across that. I, I had never heard. Well, I've heard that before, but it's an opinion out there, which is interesting. But, and there's other prophetesses in the Bible too, right? We, we already talked about uh, Moses, his sister, Miriam. She was a prophetess. Um, Isaiah's wife was a prophetess. Um, Huldah in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles was a prophetess. And who do we know is a prophetess in the New Testament, right off the bat when Jesus is born? Anna, right? Anna's a prophetess as well, waiting years and years and years to see that fulfillment that God had promised. Priscilla, yep, Priscilla's a prophetess. So we have, we have some other prophetesses in the Bible as well. All right. So, end of story, end of story, but what is it? We have a story and a song, right? So we have the story of what has happened. That's on the left-hand side uh, where Deborah is saying, you guys are going to go, you're going to get this done, all right, we're, we're doing this. And uh, on the other side, we have the recounting, the song, uh, which is a um, way of retelling the story and maybe adding some things into it that, I don't know if I want to, maybe the word personal, like things that the, we don't necessarily glean from the text because we were not there, uh, but we do see in the song um, as well. And so interesting, uh, as, as soon as we have one more Exodus connection here, right? So they make it through the waters, and then what do they do? They, they party, they sing, right? Miriam sings a song. It's a great, uh, it's a great celebration. We see the same thing here repeated. They come through this battle, and then Deborah and Barak, son of Adonim, sang on that day, saying, 
When locks are long in Israel, when the people offer themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. What are they doing right already? Praising God, right? They're already getting this right. Uh, they're showing they're showing the Israelites, uh, this is not about what you've done. This is not about what we've done. This is about what God has done. So they are giving an, a good example for them. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured and the clouds indeed poured water. I'm going to introduce another little idea here of creation theology. So anytime we talk about or we see in the Bible that um, any element of creation is tied to God, there's some creation theology here. Who is God? God is the creator of all of this. And so we see that they're bringing in, again, remember those kind of echoes, the things that are reminiscent, remind us that God is the creator of all. The heavens poured, the clouds indeed poured water. Uh, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, a little bit more Exodus theology there, before the Lord, the God of Israel. We're going to do, 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 you can read the whole thing on your own. Uh, please do. I'm for sake of time. We're going to kind of skip ahead. We have more, uh, you know, telling of what's happening. Um, we get to verse 15 and a half. Uh, among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you tarry among the sheepfolds to hear the piping of the fl- for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there was, were great searchings of heart. What's happening with Reuben here? The tribe of Re- Reuben. They didn't show. <laughs> they didn't show up, right? They didn't show up. They're, they're tarrying among the sheepfolds, right? They're not, they're, not, uh, they're not heeding the call here. And they're great searchings of the heart. I just want to go to verse 20 because it's weird. Okay. Very hard. We, we can get, we'll get to verse 20. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan and Dan, why did he abide with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, settling down by his landings. Zebulun is a people that scorned death. Naphtali too on the heights of the field. What is Deborah doing here? What do you think she's doing here? There's a celebration. People are hearing this song. This is not something that's just contained in the words of our Bible, but she's kind of calling out. Yeah, reminding of the people who didn't succeed, the people who didn't come, who didn't heed the call, and the tribes that did, right? So not all. Right, (laughs) yeah, which was their command. So she's reminding them, hey, this is a celebration, yet we also have to make sure that we're learning something from this, right, folks? Like, we're not going to, we don't hate you, we're not going to shun you, but listen, um, if we're going to be a people, and remember, they're not, they're not necessarily living right next to each other, right? They're, they all have their appointed uh, plots, um, areas of land. But still, they are still functioning as God's people, or they're trying to function as God's people, which means you hear the rallying cry, you don't run the other way, or you don't sit, you don't sit and hang out, right? The, uh, the kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan. Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver. The stars fought from heaven. This is a weird verse. I agree with you. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. 
I have no idea what it means. The song that we sang at the memorial service for Barbara McKenna, Angel Armies, mm. God of Angel Armies. Mm. Probably everything a human being does is fought for. We don't see it. That would be my understanding because in Revelation, stars, that's what Satan sweeps out of the sky. The dragon sweeps mm. out of the sky with his tail. The stars here is the same as in Revelation. Um, not to say that stars are angels, but right. but just as a symbolic concept, mm-hmm. things that are really powerful and big and far away over that we don't understand, they're out of reach, are yeah. stars. Um, that would be it. Um, hmm. But I'm not. It, no, it's, it's a good. It's really weird. It's one of those, you look at Jesus and you say, you said that, it's your word. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's it. I like that thought. Anyone else? Pretty well. I like, yeah. Right, because it's, Lois has something. And because it's something we can't put a, can't say what it is, right? That's not my original, but the footnote that I had said it's a poetic way of saying all the powers of heaven fought mm. on Israel's behalf. So that kind of goes along with your angels and yeah. everything in heaven fought. Nice. Yeah, all the powers of heaven. Great. All right. So then, so we have... That's a little bit of creation thought, theology. Verse 21, the torrent Kishon swept them away. The onrushing torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. Wow, right? That's like right back out of the Israelites uh, running from Pharaoh's army. God's doing it again, right? That's what she's saying. God's doing it again. You were just delivered, just like your ancestors were. Look at that. Look at what God has done. And he's doing it again. Then loud beat the horse's hooves with the galloping, galloping of his steeds, right? That's what, when the people were running from Pharaoh, they, they heard that, they felt that, the horses bearing down on them. And yet, here we have this going on again. This is what God has done. She's bringing back that imagery. Go back down, do, 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 24. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, the tent-dwelling women most blessed. She's not an Israelite. Right? She's not an Israelite. She's, she's not one of the God's people there. But blessed be her, right? Because she has done this. Um, she has done this thing. She goes through with what happens. Verse 28. Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera gazed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest ladies make answer. Indeed, she answers the question herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? A girl or two for every man, spoil of dyed stuffs for Sisera, spoil of dyed stuffs embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for my neck as spoil. So perish all your enemies, O Lord, but may your friends be like the sun as it rises in its might. So I'm ending with the part of Sisera's mom because there's there's some things that we can glean here. What is her what is her main concern here? What she's gonna get, right? What she's gonna get. Okay. So this is these are women talking, all right? So these are women talking, and 
the mother is talking to some of the wisest ladies. Some translations say um, her daughters. Uh, a girl or two more translated a little bit more one for one would be a womb or two for every man. What's happening here? What's happening here to women? They're trading cards? What else? Are they even women? No, they're totally dehumanized, right? If you take out a woman or two and you, you go with the original translation, a womb or two, right? There's just one, there's just one reason that you would be di- dividing women up. So these are women talking about other women. <laughs> what does that tell us about the culture at that time? Okay, they didn't see themselves as being valuable. What else? This is okay. Not only is it okay, (laughs) yeah, it's expected. It's accepted, right? Is this any, does this, should this be an alarm for anyone else, for the Israelites? Yeah, this is not the way God says to treat women, right? This is not the way God says to, um, to divide women up. We see a little glimpse into the Canaanite culture and Maybe why God doesn't want his people emulating that culture. John? There's a specific passage, I think it's in Deuteronomy, where God actually lays out for this situation, what do you do in a battle when you capture some women? Mm -hmm. My way I imagine this is it's like halftime, and Jesus is the coach. And these guys, and they're all bloody, and uh, some of their friends have died. Yeah. And they're like, I want to really hurt something. I am angry. And Jesus just right at them and says, if you see a woman, a beautiful woman, Mm -hmm. and he pauses, you can marry her. Yeah. (laughs) But you can't marry her. As I know how you think, you can't marry her, rape her, and then divorce her. Mm -hmm. You have to really marry her. Right. And you have to wait 30 days. Mm -hmm. Till you've calmed down and she's had time to decompress. It specifically says that. So yeah. this is really, it's already before this happened, God's already said, even yeah. that, which I don't like wars and capturing people and stuff, but it's there's a person. Here, right? Here, yeah, there's a and person. you will respect her as a person. Mm-hmm. He specifically, there is that yeah. passage there. Thank you. Yeah. And so we see that that is counter to what God, what they're doing is counter to what God would have them do. And I think... Um, Deborah's making a point here, right, to say, hey, listen, we have rules, right? We have rules. She doesn't know that this is what Cicero's mother is saying, right? This is not, she doesn't, she did not talk to her, right? But if if we have this, we can see that that would be the logical thought in that, in that time. So we see that and we see Deborah's trying to make a point, hey, everyone, remember, in your pillaging, right? Uh, this is not what should be happening. Uh, and then verse 31, that revival of that this is the Lord's and that we're praising God, so, similar to what we saw in First Timothy 17. All right, three points as we wrap up today. Um, Deborah's God goes before, right? Deborah's God goes before. Before the battle, before her, before Barak, before all of the other people, he goes before, he goes before you as well. He's already, he's already doing something where you're going to be invited into a situation 
to show the love of Jesus to somebody, and he's already gone before you. I find that to be an immense relief, (laughs) right? Immense relief. He delivers his people. Um, Same thing as last week, right? So we're going to see that a couple times over in this series. He delivers his people. He He hasn't forgotten his people. Even when they do evil in his sight, even when they decide to turn away from him, even when they decide to follow other gods, he, he still delivers them. He hears them and he has not left them. And he cannot be contained. He cannot be contained in what we as humans think he should do. Right? So going back to what Deborah says to Barak, all right, I'll go with you, but just so you know, that's not gonna, it's not going to play out the way you think it's going to play out. It, the end result will be the same. Cicero will be delivered, but God is going to do something different. She doesn't know, right? She just knows God's going to do something different. He's told me it's going to be, he's going to be delivered in the hand of a woman. All right, let's see what happens. Um, and, and we see that, that God cannot be contained by what we think about God or what we expect God to do. And I think that is um, obviously, hopefully most seen in what God does in Jesus Christ coming to save us. Uh, and and choosing even us, right? Choosing even us. Uh, if we if we were containing God, um, God would not be God, and and we would not be as loving as He is. Any final thoughts before we we pray? We've got we've got three whole minutes. Look at that. <laughs> Any final thoughts? What do you think? Strength in Scripture. God working through these people? Yep. Here, come, here comes Larry. <clears throat> we want to hear what you say, Lois. We can hear you. <laughs> Not that important. <laughs> well, I, I think we have, it's hardest to make the leap from Old Testament times to today, although mm. we need that encouragement that we too will have God going before us and mm-hmm. we too need that strength. And so you see it, the story, you think, oh, well, that's the way it used to be. Mm-hmm. Is it that way now? Mm-hmm. Uh, and studies like this help. Yeah. Great. Yeah. God goes before us. We, we see, um, before Jesus goes through, um, Monday, Thursday, good Friday, right. He, he tells his disciples, um, you know, things are going to happen, right? And you're, I'm going to be leaving you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. If I, if I stay, the Holy Spirit can't come. I don't understand why that is, right? But Jesus says that that's true. So I think Jesus knows what he's talking about. If, if I stay, Holy Spirit's not coming. But if I go, I'm not leaving you alone. The Holy Spirit's going to be, be your companion, be your advocate, be what I have been to you but for all people for all times. Um, and so we see, we see that even in the Holy Spirit going out before us today. I think one of the most amazing things is if you start to think about where the Holy Spirit is working, all these places we don't know, right? All these places we don't see. He's working in the hearts of people who don't know God, who hate God, who love God. <laughs> uh, we, he's working in the hearts of believers. He's working in the hearts of unbelievers. And we get to be invited into that journey. Um, But God goes before us. He goes before us. He delivers his people, and he cannot be contained in what we think. All right, let's uh, close in prayer.
Thank you, God, again for this time. Thank you for your word and for the stories and the songs of your people. Help us to remember today not just um, not just our own fears and the things that we see in front of us, but help us to remember that you are going before us always, that you go with us and you go before us, and that you give us our strength. Help us not to try to rely on alternative places of strength, alternative people or gods. Lord, let us be able to not just learn from the example of Deborah and Barak and all jail and all who are involved, but also to be bold in following you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org. 